This is not an easy message today. My goodness. It's called aliens. It's called aliens. Yeah, you saw that movie, right? Sigourney Weaver. Alien 2 was better. Or aliens, right? It was alien. Anyway. Um, I, I will tell you this. Over the last 10 years and times past, I've used a verse out of Hebrews that I think has been kind of a, a core value for us when it comes to scripture. We talked a lot about it when we were going over um, uh, the armor of God. It was this verse right here, if you will, uh, out of Hebrews. It says this, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul, soul, your, who you are, and spirit. Joints and marrows, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That is very true. That's true about the word of God. Psalm chapter 119 and verse 105 says this. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That is absolutely true. This is all true about our Bible, the word of God. But frankly, the truth is, is that sometimes... The word of God, as it is a sword, frankly, when I read it and when you read it, it's pointed right at yourself, right? Like it points, when I read it sometimes, there's something that happens in me that just challenges me that I get a bit um, insecure over where I am and where I thought I was with the Lord. And I want you to know that as much as it is a sword, it's also something that brings much comfort that says this, that we are God's masterpiece and he's not finished with us. How many of you glad that God is not finished with you? But the word of God is a sword. And when it's turned on you, frankly, when you're reading it, sometimes it hurts. The word of God, as we saw here, is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. And sometimes the word of God, as I read it, as I read truth, it shines out on something that frankly and directs a path that I don't want to go on. Anybody ever had that experience? Meaning sometimes, as believers, the word of God can be something that actually you and me, we scoff at. Like we scoff at it when we read this. um, uh, You shall um, turn the other cheek and love your enemies. And the very first thing, as we're reading that, we say, but you don't know what they did. So the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and says, hey, those that are your enemies, forgive them. And you go, "Uh, uh, uh, but God, wait. Or how about the verse that says this, that actually teaches that the Holy Spirit comes. And when it comes, it fills us and distributes all types of gifts. And that not every single person that is filled with the Holy Ghost has to have the certain gift. Sometimes you go, but wait, that's not how I learned. The word of God is a sword. And sometimes when we look at it, it's painful. Today, it's painful. Today's message, it doesn't fit in the narrative that we've been conditioned to listen to in the United States of America in 2020 or in 1999 or in 2000. Frankly, for a long time, the word today, the word of God will act as a sword. And for so many of you, you'll reject it today. And I'm sad. I'm begging you. I'm asking you what Jonathan asked you to be sober-minded because the word of God, it actually is as relevant as as it was then today. Are you with me here? 
wrote down, it's, it's unpopular today, the word of God will be. It's not fun to listen to. It flies in the face of so many that are passionate. So I've had this message ready to go for about a year, okay? That's bad news for you. <laughs> so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read the word of God. After I read the word today, I'm going to have Chris come up and give you a seven-minute historical education about the place and the setting and the time and the culture of the people that First Peter was written to. And then you're going to have the opportunity, you as an individual are going to have an opportunity to receive what is said today or reject, to move forward or go backwards. You get to do that. So I just want to do one last thing, even though we've done it a few times already. Would you please bow your heads? Let me pray. Lord, you, you see in my heart right now the energy and the amped up, how amped up I am. So I ask God for complete humility. Lord, would you, just, uh, would you just take over in the delivery of this and keep me from error? Lord, we choose to receive your word today. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last few weeks, we've went over this message called purpose and function. We talked about how there is a generalized purpose for every single believer. Doesn't matter how long you've been in the body of Christ. Doesn't matter what your age is. That there's a generalized purpose for us as Christians to actually create other Christians. But what we talked about with the idea of purpose and function is this. Is that for many of us, we have individualized functions within the body. There's different giftings that people have been given. Whether they be Holy Spirit things or personality things where your function in a body like this right here is different than mine. My function is to teach. Some others' as function is, is, to, is, to, is to pray. Some is to serve. We talked about this, but it all comes under this gigantic umbrella of being someone that has a generalized purpose to advance God's kingdom. So what I want to show you here is I want you to see what Jesus said after his death and before he went to the cross about, about our, our, our function and our purpose. So let's, let's start out here with Matthew, if you will. It says this, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be what? As shrewd as snakes, but as harmless as doves. Do you mind just reading the underline with me? as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. But beware, for you'll be handed over, you, you, me, will be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. Yikes. You'll stand trial before governors and kings because, because you're my followers. This, is a, this, this right here is coming from God in the flesh talking to us right here, okay? It's talking to his disciples, but that's what you and me are, right? But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and others, uh, unbelievers, about me. When you're arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. Somebody I prayed for just a few minutes ago, that's for you. Look at this, what he says here. Jesus says, therefore, go and what? Make disciples. Make converts? No, make disciples. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here's some stuff out of John. It says this right here. If you go to John, uh, I believe, yeah. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. Jesus is talking about you and me here. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
This is big stuff right here. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one for clarity. You are where you are in history for a purpose. And Jesus isn't saying, Lord, would you take them out of the world? He's saying, no, no, protect them in the world so that they what? They might make disciples. Okay? They are not of the world even as I am not. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. This whole tone, this, this whole admonition from Jesus, what we're seeing here is that means that your Christian walk is more than just being in this church on Sunday mornings. I've said that before. Your Christian walk is more than just um, um, putting money in the offering or putting a cross around your neck or a, a fish on the back of your car. There's much more than that in this, what Jesus is talking about here. It's more than just fellowshipping with people that think like you. Go and create. Go and and make disciples, that is the call for every single one of us that call Jesus as Lord. We finished up last week in purpose and function out of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Remember this, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your whole being, as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I have never in the history of the world seen a sacrifice, a lamb that's going to go to the altar that's pumped up about it. Like even in movies, you know, there's this, there's this moment where you're going to have to be the one that stays when the bomb blows up. It's not like he's pumped up for that, right? Like a sacrifice is something where you give up all of your rights. Well, you give up all of your body. You and me are supposed to be living sacrifices. Okay, this is what Jesus is talking about. So what I want to show you here is, and I want to take it a step further today, and I'm building layers so that you know where I'm going. See, Paul and Peter, we call them, you know, Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, the, the, the founders of the faith. They started to whittle this down just a little bit more. Not only do they say, hey, here's your purpose in a lot of their writings, but they start to name themselves certain things. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Titus and in his letter to the Romans and even in Galatians, he, he gives himself this name, if you'll put it up there. It says, Paul, a bondservant. For Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Look at this in, in Titus. Paul, a bond servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. And then in, in Galatians 1.10, he says this, For I am, not, am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still striving to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. So what he's doing is he's saying, hey, listen, uh, we, we talked about break every chains in that song what he's saying is willingly i am chaining myself to jesus christ my life is in christ and he's saying this is the example that i want you to follow peter then in his first chapter of his book he says this as a as a name for you and me says peter an apostle of jesus christ to those who reside as what aliens scattered throughout pontus galatia Asia, all these different places, these different provinces under Roman rule. Peter says, hey, I'm writing to you. I want you to be aliens. What does that mean? Foreigners, strangers. Verse 2, if you'll go. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. May God give you more and more grace and peace. 
What I want you to see when you start to hear the word alien is I want you to understand he's actually not talking to immigrants. Whether in Pontus or whether in Galatia, whether in modern day Turkey where we see, whether in the Roman rule, Asia, wherever it is, when he's writing this letter and it's being scattered out to all people, he's actually not talking to people that are foreigners that have moved into this area. He's actually talking to native people. So why is he calling them aliens? He's calling them aliens not because of where they were born. He's calling them aliens, foreigners, exiles, strangers because of who they choose to follow. Everybody with me? There's this idea of, 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 of a transient person is what he's saying. When he's, when he's, when he's writing this letter, he's, he's talking to a, someone who's in one place for one time for a very short period. What he's trying to do is he's trying to frame the people that are reading this letter. And by the way, 1 Peter is one of the most relevant books of the Bible for 2020. Because it talks about you and me right now. And he's saying, hey, listen, for you, foreigner, alien, for you, transient person, your home is not planet Earth. Your home is not Phoenix, Arizona. Your home is in heaven. And you, listener, need to start thinking like that. I'm going to have Chris come up here in just a moment. What he's saying, he's saying, I'm calling you an immigrant, not because you were moved into this, but it's because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. What I need you to know is as as Peter is talking about this, he's saying this, I'm talking to a group of people that allegiance first and foremost is to Jesus, not to Asia, not to Rome, but to being a Christian. Why am I doing this? Well, see, in, in my 40 years of living, In 1984, in 1988, 1992, 1996, 2000, 2004, 2008, 2012, the most important election of my life. And I want you to know, especially some of those that I see that are so passionate about your country, America, as am I. I love your passion. I love your conviction. But according to Scripture, according to Scripture, what happens November 4th won't change one thing about who you are. What happens November 4th won't change your real nationality. According to scripture. What happens November 4th, and this is so important, won't change the opportunity that you have as a Christian in the world's history. You are here for a reason. So this morning and nine days from now, when we know results... You'll still belong, by the way, to the kingdom of God first. (laughs) Because you're an alien. What? Yeah. You may not want to be, or you may not like all that comes with that. But what I need you to understand, I need you to, to get into a neutral place with me today because some of you already got your defenses up. You're ready to box with me, and I'm not gonna box with you. You know what's gonna box with you? The word of God. I'm not going to do it because I don't care. 
What I do care about is you actually applying yourself to this scripture and realizing that Peter wrote this to you and he said, you don't belong on earth. Before you are a U.S., um, before you are a member of the United States, you're a member of the kingdom of God. Your home isn't here. Are you living like that? Are you living so that everything that you do Everything that you promote. Everything that you stand behind. Everything that your heart is set on and is passionate for. Is it advancing, watch, his kingdom. His kingdom. Is your patriotism to Christianity before your patriotism to the United States? See, 2020, I've been hearing this, and, and you've probably heard this. It's, it's at the tip of the iceberg, right, I believe, of what Christians are actually going to go through when the world ends. This is not the end times as you, if you want to see the end times, you better get ready for it. Because this ain't nothing. Free water, free speech for Christians, that ain't, that's not the end times. Well, how about all the, all the storms? How about the earthquakes? How about human history going through that? Well, how about the pestilences? How about the diseases? How about look at human history? What I want you to understand is this. It's the tip of the iceberg. And thankfully for good men like Pat Robertson, who prophesied back in 96 that it was going to end, and then in 2000, and then just a couple days later, when, just a couple days ago when he said, when Trump wins the election, that's when the world's going to end. And you know what? He's made millions for that. And that's cool. Am I stepping on toes? I hope I am. Because what I want you to understand is this, is that we as Christians have lived in pagan society since the time that Jesus left the earth and it is filled with poison. It is filled with sexual immorality. It is filled with slave trading. It is filled with women oppression back then just like it is right now. And we're called in the middle of that where there is death to the unborn, where there is death to those the innocent. That was happening all the time back then, just like it is happening all the time right now. And you and me are called to what? Live as God's elect, as aliens. You see how passionate I am. This is what happens when you give me a year. Some of you have turned me off, man. I get it. What's my point? And Chris, get ready to come on up. My point is we Christians in America. By the way, oh, real quick, put that up. Did you know that there's other Christians outside of the United States? <laughs> oh, did you know that? I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to let you understand, like, we're not the only country in the world that has God's favor on it. Hello? You're no better than the Christians in Nigeria. Oh, but that doesn't sit right with us. You want to know why? Because you've been conditioned. You've been conditioned by teaching. Okay? What I want you to know, and my point of this whole message, is I want to give you a way from Scripture, not from me, of how to live amongst the pagans that has nothing to do with Joe Biden. It has nothing to do with Donald Trump. I know it's hard for some of you. I know you're pissed at me right now. And I love you. And I love your passion. But I want to show you this. Chris is going to give us an education. 
You guys ready to get an education? Chris, I want you to come up and give us six minutes on what it looked like back then. Teacher Chris. Hey, All right. I, I am not done. <laughs> He's coming back. I'm coming back. back. Just a brief intermission to calm him down before he starts like Dude, up the people that are new here, I am so sorry <laughs> for you today. All right. All right. Um, for me, history has always been that beautiful thing uh, that has constantly been my grounding force because whenever I think things get bad, I can always look back. And looking back has always okay. been this revelation of things are not as bad as what we think that they are. Um, but we have to look also and realize that dates truly begin to kind of matter because when we see that Christ exits, Christians have to go out and they begin to spread. When we see the book of Acts, we start seeing the persecutions really start to begin. And so it's one of those things that like really kicks off with uh, Stephen stoning. And his stoning is what spreads this message. And I want to be very clear on this. It is persecution is the number one spreader of our faith. It is the number one thing that if you want your life to be spread, someone's going to kill you. Lay down your life for what you believe, and everyone's going to go, I want to believe like that. So what we end up seeing is one of the biggest things, I will call this the biggest alien invasion of the largest, most powerful empire in the world, Rome. It was so much, in fact, that there was this fire that had broken out right after, uh, it's called the Circus Maximus, if you're not familiar with uh, Roman history. It was larger than the Colosseum. They literally had naval battles inside of it, chariot races. If you saw Ben-Hur, like, that's how massive it was. They would flood the thing and have full-on naval battles for entertainment. A fire breaks out of it in July of 64. And Nero, who is historically known as one of the most corrupt and violent emperors of all time, is garnished by the idea that the new group of a, Judas, uh, a Judaism sect has risen up and has started this fire to eradicate Rome. I want you to think about this for a second. These people are living inside of Rome so different from the pagan religion, the polytheistic beliefs of the Roman gods, that they garnered the attention of the emperor. The most powerful man, and as a result on that, used a scapegoat to target a group of individuals. And what he thought was going to eradicate the entire population of this small sect of Christians ends up being one of the largest wildfires in the empire. And so when we think about of our persecutions and we think about, oh, somebody's making fun of us or they're restricting our rights, I want to be very clear in reminding you that these scapegoats were thrown into the Colosseum in gladiatorial battles. They were dressed and doused in animal blood and animal hides and thrown to lions and tigers. They brought in different wild beasts. And there's actually one saying, if you kind of go to this next one here. Uh, this is from Tacitus. He's, he wrote the annals. It's a 35 historic. Sorry, I'm nerding out. Uh, a vast multitude of convicted, all their deaths were made the subject of sport. Christians' lives no longer became this. Um, if they were Roman they were no longer seen as Roman. You gave up your Roman citizenship, which was like literally handing over your passport in a foreign country, but it being your own. You are no longer a citizen of Rome. He stole your identity of what used to be your protection. If you look at Rome, or excuse me, Paul in his entire life, he throws out the Roman card and he gets out of a lot of situations. He, he started taking that away. 
And so they end up going into it, and these, in, even these, in these things, there's one sting uh, from the annals, it's not in there, but he throws a party, and to light his party, he takes Christians, and during the day, they crucified him and then set him fire at night so that his garden could be seen for all to enjoy. The idea of history reminds me constantly of what it is that we're constantly not at that point. When people are saying it's so bad, I'm like, you haven't read history. Let's keep going. Later on, it gets even more because that one was basically condoned to just Rome. Uh, But we have this other guy, his name is Diocletian. He basically is separated power. Two different empires begin to split. Um, But he ends up creating on this next persecution that is worse than Nero's. Let me be very clear. Burning of flesh, animal hides, doing all this. This one was worse. He literally chose the Christians as the ultimate. And they basically say from the year 150 AD to 303, then there's this thing called the Edict of Milan in 1313, which basically is Constantine. Again, the sacrifice of Christians during this time expands the faith. They lost their citizenship as Romans, but eventually these people start infecting the higher-ups. Eventually, one of those higher-ups happens to be the mother of this young man named Constantine. Constantine, after Diocletian, becomes emperor of Rome. And his mother's teachings stick. And in 1313, he gets rid of everything Diocletian does and makes it freedom of religion. We don't know when Constantine became a Christian, but he was in control of the largest epicenter of the world at the time. It was called Byzantinium. It's later called Constantinople. It was the epicenter of trade. And through one man, eventually becomes the official religion of Rome. What started out as a whole bunch of people constantly dying for their faith. And starts infecting. And so they have to do this other thing. I'm just going to end you with this one right here. This whole time, every single one of these people are meeting underground. You've probably heard of the phrase, the ichthys. It was this so movement of everything happening under the surface, under the surface, because they knew that if they met out in public, they'd be killed. And I think it's so beautiful because I feel like it's a total alien thing. To meet with another Christian, you would draw the symbol of the fish. One would go up. To know that the other person was a Christian, they would create the smile. The symbol of the ichthys that we still carry on our cars today is the constant reminder that for thousands of people, they died for the faith that you and I really get to enjoy, freely get to enjoy. And so when we see these different histories kind of go on, we see that it is the Son of Christ, it is Jesus, that these people were willing to give up everything for. Burnings, gladiatorial, beasts. That quote was up there if you read it. I just thought it was so great. Don't burn the Holy Scriptures. <laughs> burn me. Let that stand. And the more that we acknowledge the simple fact that we aren't just American, 
we are first and foremost citizens of a foreign land that we have to be constantly focused on, which is heaven. And when we keep that in sight, we realize that anything that happens to us here means nothing. First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 talks a little bit about this, how to handle this, right? If you'll put that up. Because what he says here is he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. So what he's saying is, as what you are, as aliens, not as Romans, as aliens, as foreigners, I want you to abstain from anything that will war against your soul. I could look right now at some of your, your postings that you've made over the last few years for the whole, whole entire world to see on your social media account. And I'm not sure that if they looked at your postings, they would see anything different than when someone that doesn't know Christ would post. Abstain from any fleshly lust. Sometimes a fleshly lust is to have the last word. Sometimes a fleshly lust is to win the argument. But I'm asking you, does it, does what you're doing as an alien in this world right now, does it look like Jesus? Does the tone look like Jesus? Hey, 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 you're saying, right? I'm standing for my freedom. That's, that's maybe an argument. And I would say this to you. Would you stand for someone else's freedom if you didn't agree with them? With the same fury. Verse 11 says this, right? To wage, that wages war against our souls. See, some of us are putting ourselves through our own meat grinder. Because our, our residence, where our residence truly is, is not in focus. In verse 12, it says this. Live such good lives among the pagans, among everyone you meet, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. If you look back above there on the wall, it says this, live your life so that if anyone speaks evil of you, no one will believe it. I don't ever want anyone to accuse me of wrongdoing. I don't want to be misperceived like that. We're running out of time. And I'm 40 now. I'm on the back nine, I guess. I better get busy winning souls. We better get busy winning souls as aliens. Time's running out. See, I want them to see my deeds and glorify God, not see my deeds and glorify the American flag. Or my forefathers, by the way, who stood for principles of God, our nation founded on God. And as our forefathers stood for God, they also built their mansions on the backs of immigrants and minorities. What a, whoa, Jay, you're getting way off here. I'm starting to get crazy. Listen, you guys that know me know that I go to Washington, D.C. every year with the utmost reverence, and I spend time at historical monuments and see what Thomas Jefferson wrote on the memorial, that everything that they did at that time was founded on the Lord, and I respect that, and I beg for our nation to come to that, but I know this, that Satan is wreaking havoc in this nation, 
And the only thing that turns it around is not governmental law. It is the love of God that is so lived out loud in you and me that actually changes the world. Change comes not from your words. It comes from your actions that are repetitive, that become habits, so that people expect that of you. That is change. Give me one million Christians who would live in this world, listen, who would live in this world humbly, who would live as servants, who would living with yielding their rights, who would convert others and teach other people with consideration, with love, watch, with holiness, rather than trying to legislate it and legalize it. We would have a soul harvest. We would have so many people come to the faith. It would make your head spin. I see people walking out. <laughs> I'm kidding, Ashley. When you politicize my faith, you cheapen it. When you politicize my faith, you cheapen it. We are Christians first. We're fathers, husbands, wives, mothers, sisters, brothers, and friends second. And then we're Americans. I know this is tough, man, because there's some passionate people in here. See, when we walk like this, when we walk above reproach with absolutely zero place for them to speak evil in our character, in our words, in our deeds, listen, in our motives, behind closed doors, this world gets its impression of Jesus Christ from those that belong to Jesus Christ. What I hear us being described as, as believers, right now, not, not a year ago, right now, is hypocritical. We're being confused as selfish. We're being confused as prideful or combative. Now, I'm, I'm keep, dude, we got a long ways to go. I'm keep going. Here we go. Next. Submit yourselves. Oh, man. For the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or Nero, this was written to people with a dude that was as evil as any man that's ever walked the earth. Why did Peter write this? Was this a typo? Submit yourselves to government, to the, to the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him, him being God, or him, I'm sorry, him being the emperor to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. What's the big part in here? Not just submit yourselves. It's this right here. For the Lord's sake. Your submission is for the Lord's sake. What? You've heard what they were under, and yet, and yet Peter is saying this. Do you understand? It was so much worse, and yet Peter is saying, submit to them. Willing submission is the most powerful act one can do in the world. Willing submission. So that everyone knows that I'm not just making all this stuff up and just piecing it together. I want to show you something out of Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah with the Jewish people that are in Babylonian captivity. Just to make sure. Now a lot of you are going, Jeremiah 29, he's going to do for I know the plans. No, I'm not doing that. Okay. 
This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Who put the people in, in exile? Who put the people in exile into Babylon? God. Okay, so that we're clear, his beloved in exile. Build houses and settle down is what he says. Plant gardens is what God said and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Look at this. Also seek the peace in the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets uh, um, and the diviners among you to deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Dang. It sells a lot of clicks to say what I've been reading from a Christian circle right now. But what, what we see right here is he's saying, seek the welfare of the country. Pray for the prosperity of it. What, what I want you to know is he's talking about Babylon ran by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was so evil, God turned Nebuchadnezzar into an animal. And yet what God says here is stay there, Plant yourselves there. Bless this place. Become part of it because guess what? It's not your home. We got to get out of the mindset that we are here and this is our whole home. This is just a blip on the map of where you and I are headed. Seek peace, he said. Romans 13, verse 1. Here we go. Everyone must submit themselves to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Well, what happens on November 4th if it doesn't go the way I want it? Then God is in control. And what if it does? Then God is in control. And you can champion it all you want, but if you champion it one single iota more than Jesus Christ, you're wrong. I know, man. See, when we see this submit themselves to governing authorities, what you want to say is this. How do we submit to something where um, there's an authority of evil? And I want to ask you a question, right? I want to ask you. So if God says submit and you say no and you disobey, do you know better than God? Like I said, this doesn't fit the American narrative, dude. Because the American narrative is you choose somebody and that person has said that he loves the Lord or this, that, whatever way you want to say it. doesn't matter if you're left, right, whatever it is. You get it in your mind that this person right here is the person that God is. And what I'm trying to tell you is this. If you disobey and you don't submit to the governing authority, then you are in sin. And you are not advancing the kingdom of God at all. Tough, right, guys? Are God's purposes thwarted? By Nero? No. As Chris said, Nero caused Christianity to grow. It's coming. It, it's, if we get to live here another hundred years, it's going to get worse. Our rights are going to be taken away. In California, I heard that they may want to legislate what a pastor can say from stage. 
Now we're shaking our head and we're wanting to, but what I'm telling you is this is what's happening. We live in a world like this. And for you and me, what we're being told to do is submit over and over and over again. But what I want you to know is in that submission, done with full holiness, done with full love, done with integrity and character, that is the thing that is actually going to get more souls to Jesus Christ than anything else. What you want to be is want to be Robin Hood. You want to be Mel Gibson in The Patriot. <laughs> Woohoo! Let's all kill everybody. Anyone that thinks different. And I, I think the Lord's going like this. Oh, oh, you missed the boat. We've romanticized it. Some of you are still mad at me. You're not, you're not, you're not there with me yet. What do I got to do? What, should I change it up? You don't do anything for God when you disobey him, when you dilute his word, and when your conduct is contrary to Christ. You don't do anything for God when you disobey him, when your conduct is, is contrary to Christ. You can, share, you, can, you can sugarcoat it all you want, but that's the truth. We are made to be beacons of light in our world. It cannot be confused. It cannot be gray. Well, let's fight fire with fire, Jay. I'm certain that I see over scripture, it says that this, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I'm not talking about an Uzi. I'm talking about manipulation. I'm talking about intimidation. I'm talking about taking and sharing the truth and actually shading it so that you can get someone to think the way you want. That's called carnal ways. And when we start dealing things and, and, and having an agenda behind us, we're dealing carnally. God is in control of what happens November 4th. You better be ready for it. Will you be a Christian the day afterwards? This is a lot for me. I'm even getting stressed out. I really am. I really am, dude. I feel stressed. 1 Peter 2, 15. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Dang. Live as free people, man. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor, even if it's not the one you voted for. Fight. Yes, let's fight for Christ. Let's fight for more people to be going to heaven. Because if we really knew what hell was like, if you really knew what hell was like, that it was eternal, you wouldn't worry if they didn't put enough pepperoni on your pizza. You wouldn't worry if your internet was too slow. You wouldn't worry. You wouldn't be so freaked out about what happens. You'd be concerned about that person's soul that will be in utter darkness with gnashing of teeth. You would give your life. That's what an alien does. An alien first realizes that. Don't whitewash sin with your agenda. Don't give it to me. So again, we just got to keep going to scripture. 
verse 18. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh, who are unrighteous, who are unfair, who don't know anything about God. For it is commendable that if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. The ultimate um, role model for this is Jesus Christ, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to those who judged justly. He did? Why? Because his purpose was to save the lost. His purpose wasn't to reign. You and me will reign with him forever. I have no idea what heaven looks like. I think about it. I ask the Lord to come back. Because I got to be honest with you. It's troubling what I see right now. And you know what's troubling that I see right now? Not the sin. What's troubling that I see right now is the Christians. I want to go to our home is heaven, guys. Lord, why do you have us here? Why, why didn't you just do to me, Lord, what you did to Elisha when you just took him out of the world, right? Lord, why don't you just do that? You want to know why? Because it is our responsibility to win the world. That's, that's it, period. You know, there's, this, there's this parable of the talents. Jonathan talked about it. Matthew chapter 25, just the first two verses. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, me and you, and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. I'm not going to go any farther on that. What I want you to know is Jesus Christ came, won our freedom, set you free, and has given you a gift. He's given you a talent. He's given you every dollar that you have. He's given you the job that you have. He's given you the country that you're in, that you're not in Nigeria or wherever you want to be. You're not in a place in Egypt where Christians die all the time right now. He's given that to you. And what he's going to do is he's going to come back and he's going to say this. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? Are you busy spending your assets? I'm not talking about finances only. Are you busy spending your talent on him and his kingdom? This is for every Christian American. Ready? When you vote, it's for God's glory. When you speak, it's for God's glory as Jesus would. When you enlist in the United States Army, it's for God's glory. When you protect the environment, it's for God's glory. When you protest, you better do it in God's glory. When you bear arms, it's for the king, you're an alien. When you pay taxes, uh oh, it's for God's glory. When you provide sanctuary and hospitality, 
to true foreigners. It's for God's glory. When you protect life, it's for the Lord. When you honor your leaders, it's for the Lord. When you make love to your wife, it's for the Lord. When you spend your money, when you stand up for injustice, when whatever you do is for the glory of God, if you know your real, true purpose. At the beginning, I said that we are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. for something. If you'll put that on, please. You and me are called in 2020 before this election and after this election to live as aliens. I love this congregation individually, all of you, more than I could ever say. I promise I'm not trying to hurt anyone's feelings just want you to read your word and let it affect you. Sit and contemplate it and walk out of here today living as aliens.